0: This is episode 291 of the Real Me In Colon A Movie Podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at the newest film, Hustlers, as well as going over some movie trailers that drop throughout the week and movie news, including all that coverage from TIFF that happened this past week, all that and more on today's Real Me In. What is going on everybody and welcome to another episode of Real Me and Colin a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts Chase Lee and uh, thank you for joining us. If you are a new listener and you decided to take a chance on us and listen to uh, a couple people talk about some movies, I think this is your destination. You have arrived. Uh, please do not go back on the plane. Uh, we promise you a very entertaining and informative show. And if, like I said, if you just love talking about movies, I think this is a... Uh, This is your podcast, so thank you for taking a chance on us. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. This is episode 291. We are on the countdown uh, to episode 300. It is, uh, whew, it's getting here, Uh, but this is 291, and we will be going over Styx Films' newest uh, venture, Hustlers, and uh, that one stars Constance Wu and Jennifer Lopez. It's been getting uh, uh, a lot of traction, uh, considering it was at a... Was at TIFF and then now uh, has come out this week, so a lot of buzz behind it. Will uh, is that buzz warranted? We'll find out, uh, and then we'll go over all the uh, goodies at the top of the show like usual. Before I hand it over to my co-host over there uh, to ask him how his wonderful week was, if you guys could uh, you know spread this episode around, like it, favorite, comment, do whatever you have to do. Um, to bring awareness to the show we would really appreciate it and just uh let's let this community grow uh it's growing a little bit each day and we uh we really appreciate it joseph uh how is it going over there how is it due uh i i believe this is the um i would say this is the official week of a uh, award season the the kickoff initial kickoff yeah so, uh you know uh it's re- really exciting times and uh you you and i uh we went over the the list of what we're doing for the rest of the year, and it uh, it, it brings a tear to my eye, and it's uh, quite magical. So, uh, how is it going over there? What's been going on in Joel's world?
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's in full swing. I mean, you got
0: the festivals going right now. This, you know,
1: the uh, Venice and Telluride are over. Toronto is over tomorrow, and they're announcing the the Audience Award. Uh, New York is right around the corner. Um, I think London. I think it's London Film Festival or uh british film festival something something in london is going on as well and then you have the uh the afi fest i think in november yeah it's it's all it's all in full swing it's really exciting it's a it's a great season um and yeah the like you said the uh the episodes that we've got in order for you guys are are awesome i i can't wait um you know not all of the obvious choices, not all of the not not some, you know, sometimes not all of the big blockbusters. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about some of these movies that are getting notices for for being um, potential awards contenders. So really excited. Uh, this week was was mostly uneventful. I've been catching up with some movies from this year that I missed for whatever reason. Um, only a couple movies into that. But I saw Fast Color uh, with Gugu and the Rouse. Pretty good. Uh, so the souvenir for May 24. Oh man, we're gonna be talking about that in a couple months for sure. Um, and then also had one of the most, and I'm not kidding you right now, one of the most significant first time viewing experiences I've ever had. Um, and that is, and like in my in my movie going career, it's it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Absolutely one of the most uh, thrilling ventures of filmmaking I've ever experienced. And it was on Blu-ray in my house. Sometimes it doesn't have to be in a the theater, guys. And that was Martin Scorsese's Casino, which is a masterpiece. Um, it's one of his very, very, very best movies. I think it might be even a shade better than Goodfellas, although I'm going to have to watch both of those again, like right beside each other. Um, although it isn't anything like Goodfellas. I, I, I don't know why I use that. A lot of people consider this movie to be sort of um, derivative of that movie, but it's really very different. Uh there's the same actors and that's about it. (laughs) So, and based in a kind of a similar editing style, I suppose, but in every other way, it's very different. And, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to fill some, some Scorsese gaps in before the Irishman comes out. And that's, uh, that was the first really big one that I needed to fill. Um, and also mean streets. I'm going to be, I'm going to be watching mean streets pretty soon. That's one I need to see too. But, um, but yeah, so love that movie. Uh, great, great, great film. Three hours. It felt like three hours, and I mean that in the best way possible. Uh, it felt like a journey, and um, that's how I hope the 210-minute <laughs> The Irishman feels. So, yeah, big big time, uh, great first viewing there. Um, otherwise, just just kind of hanging I didn't have work for most of the week just because of happenstance. I didn't work most of last week after the sale, and then I didn't work most of the first part of this week. So I had more than a week off uh, just because of how everything uh, – happened with the schedule so yeah been having uh, some nice time off and um even though it was unintentional I didn't ask for it off but uh yeah other than that not much going on what about you
0: well I'm glad you had a profound experience with a uh, casino that that was always uh, one of my favorites um growing up because I think good. uh when I was a teenager that's when I, I first discovered the Scorsese and uh I watched like Goodfellas Casino um and that's what really got me into his films. And of course I went back and did taxi driver raging bull. I saw, um, after hours, you know, of course with his, I need to stuff. see after hours too. I own. Yeah. Yeah. After hours is really, it's really cool. I mean, it's a dark comedy, so it's, it's already up my alley. Um, yeah, but it, it's got the, the flavoring of like a, like a good or casino cinematography and editing. It's just, it, it makes for a good watch. And then, of course, uh modern stuff I love with Silence, and I just re-watched Wolf of Wall Street a while back. That three-hour movie still holds up to this day, and it feels like it's 22 minutes long. And I still can't believe a, a man of that age <laughs> made that film because it's got the energy of a cocaine-fueled Wall Street executive. So, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, So I- I'm glad that you finally caught up on the casino. Uh, I haven't really watched any movies this week. Uh, I'm just... Catching up on my TV shows, um, still watching the Gemstones. I'm gonna still pimp that out uh, for as long as I can until the uh, the season is done with. So if you guys love Dan McBride, please check it out. Um, yeah, that I don't. That's about it in terms of at home. And of course, uh, this week I saw Hustlers on Wednesday, and then on Thursday. Uh, Joel was uh, super angry about it, and uh, we're going to get a divorce after this show. We're going to go to the courthouse and file those papers. Um, but, um, it's over. Exactly. Uh, it was really dramatic, and you guys didn't uh, really need to see that. But, uh, uh, yeah, I saw Ad Astra on Thursday. Now, uh, typically I'll give you guys some hints in terms of what I think and everything, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, What I'm going to do is hold my thoughts literally for two weeks, and you guys are going to have to suffer. The cool thing is you guys will be able to see it in a week. That way, when we record it in a couple weeks, we can discuss it and talk about it because there's a lot to discuss that could go either good or bad. You have no idea, but if you follow my Twitter, then you obviously know, but if you want to keep it completely in the dark, stay away from uh, my YouTube, Twitter, whatever, and just go uh, into the podcast blind. That way, you know... um, my thoughts and you know future Joel's thoughts as well. Um, it, it's uh it's it's gonna be a good episode. I'll, I'll just say that, and I I'm gonna see it again uh, just for clarification uh, on what we're gonna discuss about it and everything because it, it's a it's a very rich film. Um, a lot of stuff going on. So, uh, yeah, I saw that Thursday, and then that's a about it. Seeing Goldfinch uh, tomorrow in in terms of when I'm recording this. So. I'm either going to – according to a uh, film Twitter, I'm either going to despise this movie, call it gross. I'm either going to fall asleep and have a good two-and-a-half-hour nap, or I'm just going to think it's all right. So I'm already predisposed to think three different things, so um, that's probably what, what's going to happen. No, I, I'm i looking forward to it. Um, e- even uh, as someone put it, even if the movie is just mediocre, it's still going to be pretty to look at. We still got Deacons behind the camera, so at least uh, I'll have some eye candy <laughs> to uh, – to witness, and I, I'm still looking forward to it, um, so that will be, yeah, that'll be the, uh, last thing I see for quite some time, because, um, I don't got any screenings coming up, I mean, I, I'm seeing a Abominable next Saturday, but, yeah, <laughs> so it's not really something I'm like, you know, uh, like, oh, yes, I, I, I need to see it, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's getting, uh, a little quiet around here until the, the onslaught of, um, uh, kind of award season films. It's probably going to happen in October, but uh, that's about it. But yeah, I, I'm really excited to kind of dig into the TIFF coverage, so let's not waste any time, and I'm going to talk about um, some trailers, and by some trailers, I literally mean two. Uh, one comes from Paramount, one comes from Neon, so I guess every other studio was just like, hey, TIFF is going on right now. Let's not muddy up the um, conversation and just keep it keep it clear. So I'm gonna get through the bad one first, and I'll, I'll talk about the good one. So the bad one is obviously from Paramount. I'm just kidding, Paramount. You put out some good stuff, but if you keep pumping out comedies like this, I get turned off. This one's called Like a Boss. comes out in January of 2020. So, so weird that I just said that out loud. 2020, Joel. We are going to die <laughs> next year. Um, so yeah, this one's about two female friends with a different with di- different ideals uh, in terms of, of how to start a beauty company together. Uh, one is practical, and the other one uh, wants to earn her fortune and live a lavish lifestyle. So obviously one wants to work, and one wants to be a CEO without actually working. And uh, they take their business to another company, uh, and, and the CEO of that company is Selma Hayek. Uh, the two women uh, in question are uh, Rose Byrne and Tiffany Haddish. They go to Selma Hayek, and you know she's like, I'll buy your company. I'll make it good. And of course, they sign something that they probably shouldn't have signed. And uh, Sama High, you know, starts taking really full control of their company, and they don't like that. So antics ensue. It looks like garbage. I, I just, I can't stand the, um, the the Paramount Players, uh, subdi- subdivision of their company because they they pump out movies like this and what men want, and I just, oh, I'm tired of it. They all look the same. They all have this kind of like super. Overly bright, like a uh, mental hospital look to it, and it's just they're never funny. And they always throw out the red band trailers to entice us, but it just doesn't work. I I don't know I don't know what else to say. Um, it looks it looks embarrassing. I
1: saw this uh, yeah, trailer uh, in front of uh, in front of Hustlers yesterday. It,
0: it looks worse than uh, what men want, and that's yeah. saying something. And that was bad. That yeah, so that was really bad. Yeah, it, it looks embarrassing for all three of the leads, and I like all three of them. But yeah, no, thank you. So that between
1: between that and whatever, and I finally saw the trailer for Jexy. Um, oh, it also it, has Ro- like Rose Byrne, and, and yeah. that looks terrible. Yeah. Oh, my gosh.
0: It, it, anyway. Once again, it's just like I know that Rose Byrne is talented. I know that Adam Devine is talented. Why are we doing stuff like this? <laughs> and I, it's from the guys that did The Hangover, and yeah, they had success for the first film, but they have taken that. Well, and they,
1: you it, say it's from the guys that did The Hangover. Really, it's from the guys that did 21 and over, and that's pretty much – I mean it's – I know that they were involved in The Hangover, but they directed – 21 and over and of course they also directed bad moms which is pretty good but um but yeah they're more they're more missed and hidden plus the hangover sorry the hangover is bad so that's fine.
0: I'm, I'm in the uh, the minority when it comes to all three of them I, I like all three sue me uh but yeah like a boss looks uh absolutely uh yeah horrid. Uh, but the one that does look good and this one comes from neon and neon's having a good year with uh with This film I'm about to mention, and with Parasite about to come out and probably take over Best Foreign Film at the Oscars, and this could actually do it too. Um, this is also a foreign film, a Portrait Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, this has been running the festival circuit for many, many months now. Uh, this one is set on an isolated island. In uh, Brittany, at the end of the 18th century, and a female painter is uh, obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a younger woman, and they strike up a relationship. It looks, uh, it looks really great. Um, it's it shot really well. It looks literally every frame looks like a painting, which is great because it's um, it, uh, it's on parallel with the actual subject matter, and uh, the romance looks really genuine and really heartfelt, and it looks like a really powerful drama. I can't wait to see it, and you know, like I said, it's from Neon. So they got two uh, films that could maybe puncture the uh, not only the uh, the foreign film section at the Oscars, but maybe, you know, to other sections. We have no idea. Um, but this one looks really great. and I've been hearing nothing but great things um, at, from the festival circuit. So as Joel will point out here in the news, we got to take everything we hear from the festival circuit with a grain of salt. But the trailer uh, looks really uh, kind of touching and uh, powerful, so I, I'm I'm down for it. So Joel, out of the two, obviously, uh, uh, your love for Tiffany Haddish will continue with Like a Boss. Um, but, yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah.
1: The, yeah that's uh, that's no. I, <laughs> it looks it looks embarrassingly bad. I literally watched that with a stone face, and also <laughs> so did literally everyone else in my in my audience. No one laughed at this trailer. That's sad. And I saw the movie and. It was a pretty – I mean it was probably like somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters packed screening in one of the bigger theaters of Hustlers. So literally no one laughed. I think one dude when the tra- – one person, I don't know if it's a dude, uh, a man or a woman, somebody when the trailer was over did a loud, huh, and that was it. <laughs> that was the only reaction that that trailer got. Uh, so yeah, it looks it looks like a January movie. Um, in every sense of the term, not that that's any more completely and totally awful. Not but saying that that, that but. goes
0: back to our theory from last week that if Bad Boys for Life is as good as we think it's going to be, it's going to be the only movie in January it's... that's just going to crush.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I think otherwise. I mean, well, we got a Grudge remake coming out. I think <laughs> uh, first weekend, which might do something, but I don't know because I don't think the so. last because the first movie made a lot of money, the second one bombed. So I don't know, that one probably won't do anything, especially because it doesn't have Sarah Michelle Gellar attached. So it may very well be that, that we have bad boys for life being the only thing that really makes any sort of money of the new releases. Um, you know, some of these movies that are, um, expanding like a beautiful day in the neighborhood, I think, or something that's coming out in December and expanding in January might make some money, but yeah of the of the native to to 2020 releases uh this one is definitely looking like one of the first movies to come out in 2020 um (laughs) let's just say that i'm way more interested in portrait of a lady on fire i saw celine shiama's last film the director um girlhood which was great uh she's been getting a lot of notices on this on the um the foreign kind of uh prestige movie scene for a while, and yeah, I'm really, really excited for that one. So, all right, folks. Um, so I'm just gonna knock off one bit of news first before I get into some of the um, the TIFF and Venice news. Until you're right. Um, okay. So there's a remake happening, and I think that it is. If nothing else in this world has ever been proof of it, I think that this is proof. The fact that nothing is sacred and the world is a hellscape and we're all just going just gonna to burn up and die. And that is the fact that Face-Off is being remade. Um, okay, so for the uninitiated, and hopefully you are initiated, and hopefully I'm talking to people who have seen it. Uh, the 1997 action thriller Face-Off stars John Travolta and Nicolas Cage as a couple of people who get their faces switched. Um, and yeah. That's, that's basically it. There's a lot, there's a it's basically a, a big action crime movie and very long. I think like two and a half hours. That always surprises people to hear, but it's excellent, excellent film. A great great piece of action filmmaking and um yeah. So it does not need a remake, but there is one that is happening. Um and to be specific, it has a screenwriter. The screenwriter is a man named Oren Uziel. Now. Uziel uh, wrote The Cloverfield Paradox. And get this, because this is exactly the same movie, all right? He's also got the Sonic the Hedgehog movie uh, coming up. He wrote that. So we got the writer of The Cloverfield Paradox, which no one remembers, and Sonic the Hedgehog, which everyone was horrified by when the trailer came out, in charge of a face off remake. I don't understand what is going on. Sorry, guys, but I'm not a fan of this. I think that it's completely, uh, just completely extraneous. Chase, uh, are you a fan of Face Off? Or. I don't think we've talked about that.
0: So, first of all, uh, Paramount, did you fire all your writers and just kept this one person? Like, I (laughs) realize that, like, this person wrote uh, uh, Paradox for you and Sonic the Hedgehog, but do you not have any other people in your writer's catalog? Okay, so that baffles me, first of all. And second of all,. And I mean this uh, as a non-sarcastic answer, it is it is cheesy action fun. Like I love this movie. It is one of my favorite Nicolas Cage John Travolta movies like Out There. I've seen this movie so many times and yes, are they like over the top and cartoonish in the movie? Absolutely. But that just adds to the fun of it. It's a ridiculous idea, but it's like what Joel said, it's a it's a well-crafted like 90s just action bonanza, like, and it's it's really well done. Uh, John Woo, like, just goes there. And uh, yes, we have some dub shots, but the action is just it's really um, exciting to watch. And um, it's one of the first movies I ever a- a- acknowledged that there were stunt doubles in a scene because uh, the one of the opening uh, numbers for this movie, <laughs> they on a jet ski and like they jump off of it, and it's clearly the stunt double. And I was like, guys, come on. Uh, but once again, just adds to the the overall good time of this movie, and uh, it, it's such a blast. If you guys have not seen Face Off, it's one of the best '90s uh, action films. But this news is stupid. Why on earth are you remaking this? Like, I, is this is the uh, is this one not good enough for you? Like, I just what is this one going to be about? They're going to try to make a more gritty and more handheld uh, action? Like, it, no, that's that's not what made the first one special. I just I don't know it's it's it kind of reminds me of um, cuz this is what I'm picturing. I could be completely wrong, but this is what I'm picturing when I heard this uh when I heard this news. Is when they're like, "Hey, total recall. That's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It's got some uh uh definite 80s tropes to it, but like it is it, it is a movie of its time. Um uh wait, no, this one that one was the 90s, right? Or was it late yeah.
1: 80s? Uh
0: Wait, I think it was off? early '90s. Face off? No, no. Uh, uh, Total Recall.
1: Oh, Total Recall. Yeah, that was 1990, actually.
0: Okay, so it was right on the cusp. Either way, it, it was definitely it had some '80s cheese to it, but that's what made it so special. And then they they turned it around and made it a more modern, gritty take with Colin Farrell. And it they didn't did the do. same
1: thing with RoboCop. By that's the way. what I'm saying. Like, it yeah. doesn't
0: it doesn't work. It was a movie of its time, and it that's why it was so special. You bring it into the modern era. What are you going to do to improve it? Like I just I don't I don't I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Paramount, I, I thought that you were um, a studio that I could trust to take on these riskier projects like a Mother or um, oh, what was the what was the other one they they did? They, I don't know. They were on a roll for a while and I was like, okay, they're starting to turn around. They got new management in there. They're they're doing some new stuff and now we're doing movies like this. And do a movies like Sonic and it's like, guys, what are we doing over there? So the uh, only
1: the only way I would accept this. The only way. It's two options. No, three options. Three options. One and they all basically are kind of um playing off real jokes, right? Either you do Jesse Eisenberg and Michael Cera, and they have to switch their faces and all of that. So they act like each other. And that's that's the big thing, is that basically the draw is you're watching you know, one actor act like the other actor. So that would be pretty fun. Or you have Amy Adams and Jenna Fisher, because that joke all, uh, goes all the way back to the last episode of the first, epi- uh, first season of The Office. Or Bryce Dallas Howard and Jessica Chastain, who have been confused for each other since their days in college. So... I think that, that those are the only three options, but still don't make it. It's not worth it. It's it's such a nineties movie. The modern technology of everything just wouldn't make it believable. That's the problem with some of these things.
0: Well and let's let's take an example uh that we just discussed last week. Something like a bad boys. That was definitely a nineties movie for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah. You can take that and you can make it modern. I mean, we just saw it in the trailer. It, it looks like it's going to work and it's still going to keep that the essence of the original movies. But when you're talking about face off and you're talking about Nicolas Cage in a priest outfit grabbing someone's butt and making like the most mean face of all time. That is a movie of its time. Like you can't look at the original face off and go. Yeah, this looks like it could be modernized and remade. No, it cannot. So I, I am not down. I I think I'm ai agree with Joel. If they did any of those casting choices, I'd be on board with it. And then my fourth option would just be make it a sequel and bring both of them back. Can you imagine modern Travolta and modern Cage going back to that movie? That would be gangbusters at the box office. <laughs> I'm telling you. So... Uh, that would be my fourth option, but other than that, yeah, I, I don't I don't care to see this.
1: <laughs> all right, we're on the same page on this one. It's it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Um, all right. So guys, Oscar season is in effect. Uh, it has been quite a festival circuit, beginning with Venice, where Joker, um, premiered and proceeded to win the Golden Lion, which is kind of the best picture. Equivalent at that um, at that festival. And it also kind of stirred up some controversy because Roman Polanski and Nate Parker, two known predators, also won an award. So it was basically Venice making a bunch of statements. But Joker winning the Golden Lion, I just want to say it's a strange choice, particularly if you look at a list of Golden Lion winners. Because that has included films from directors like Andre Tarkovsky and um, – Uh, what are some other ones? I think Steven, Del Toro, Steven Spielberg, I think. And now of course we have the director of the hangover and Starsky and Hutch winning the golden lion at Venice. It's just a strange, a strange thing. Even if this movie is completely different, that's, that's the, that's the truth. That's the truth. The fact of the matter. Um, so it doesn't mean anything for, for the Oscars. I mean, the shape of water one and that one best picture, but then before that you'd have to go back to the 1940s for a best picture winner. So it doesn't really mean anything for the Oscars. It does mean something for uh, Joaquin Phoenix though. It certainly puts him on the map for best actor um in a way that I wasn't quite sure before all of this happened that it uh that that would be the case. But indeed it is the case. He's he's definitely in the in the uh in the conversation now in a big way. Um I don't know if he's the winner. I'll get to who I think is going to be the winner here in a little bit. But that was the big thing from Venice. There were a lot of other uh, premieres, but that was sort of the most uh, significant one. And then you had uh, Telluride, and there you had movies like Parasite, which had already played a can, uh, won the Palme d'Or. But that one was was one of the bigger breakouts. You also had Marriage Story. Um, We'll get to that one in a bit because that one more broke out at – a tiff and uh yeah Telluride certainly shook some things up it certainly placed some things in their rightful kind of position in the year se- in the season so for instance before this we thought that maybe the aeronauts uh, a movie with that, re- that reunites uh, eddie redmayne and felicity jones um from a th- from the theory of everything uh would be a player but it really isn't people are saying that it's fine But the but the biggest reason is the fact that it's this very big kind of big screen movie. Um, It's a big fantasy adventure that takes place in a lot of um, hot air balloons and 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 whatever. Um, The problem is it's being put out by Amazon Studios, which has taken a new approach to its movies this season uh, with the report, and I think Brittany Runs a Marathon might be the first example of this, of a movie coming to theaters and then going to Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, not just Amazon Video, but for free. Um, within about three weeks of its release. So people are not going to see the aeronauts in theaters if they can see it at home a few weeks later. And so that's a big problem for a movie that's very, very cinematic. Um, although I've heard that, again, movies is just okay. The biggest buzz is surrounding uh, Felicity Jones in that one. Um, but really, guys, I mean, the big thing is that TIFF has been just breaking everything wide open, starting with a movie that we're going to review on this episode, Hustlers, uh, which was really just positioned in the in the festival to give it some publicity and to get critics to see it because of the fact that it opens this week and it's during the, during the festival. So people can see the movie. Same thing with something like Abominable, um, which is opening in just a couple weeks and played, um, out of competition completely at TIFF. Um, Hustlers has been getting some, some buzz for Jennifer Lopez, although I don't think that this is really an Oscar movie. Um, we'll get into why in our review. I think that it's, I think that it's chances have been a little bit overblown, but Jennifer Lopez is certainly in the conversation for supporting actress, I would say. Um... And I think that this is obviously a a possible contender for screenplay, if only because a movie like this that's very quick-witted and about something that's topical, in this case, um, something in the face of the 2008 recession, could it, it could easily get in. But whether or not it will is a big uh, a big you know kind of a question mark. Um, As with anything in a festival, and I was telling Chase this, tell you all this, when it comes to festivals, take everything with a tiny grain of salt, Um, because basically, you know, Chase and I have been there. If you're in a festival, it's big, it's prestigious, especially this one, and you're running on adrenaline and, and coffee half the time. You're seeing movies back to back to back to back to back. You're not really given the time or headspace to consider the movie other than a, a, of a piece with a big festival and part of an Oscar season. So a lot of these movies may not play as well to the critics who love them at the festival. But I think that we do have some very clear contenders. And in fact, really just kind of three huge contenders right now. So the first one is Parasite, which I mentioned, which may very well end up winning the um, the audience award. It's one of the contenders. At TIFF, uh, it played there. It played, it played uh, Telluride, and it played a Can. So it's played three of the four or five big ones, and it's coming out, I think, at the end of October, beginning of November. So certainly it's in a position to be seen. Uh, the other one is Marriage Story from director Noah Baumbach. This thing has been getting raves across the board. I don't think I've seen a single person dislike it, uh, even slightly. I think I've pretty much only seen raves about this one um and particularly when it comes to adam driver who you know is an oscar nominee now but this could very well be his second nominee nomination and it could very well be his win i think he's i think he's a possible contender uh the top the top contender to win best actor right now um whether or not the recent controversy with scarlett johansson will affect anything uh, I don't know. That's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Usually, voters have a short memory, so it very well could be that she's a best actress contender. Maybe not win. I think that that'll be another person. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna talk about here in a in a few minutes. But it's certainly a contender for a bunch of stuff. I've heard Danny Elfman's score is beautiful. I've heard that uh, the cinematography is gorgeous. I've heard that it has. Um, a great screenplay just in, in the way that it structures the story of a, of a dissolving marriage. And, uh, it's very personal for bound back because this is basically kind of sort of the story of him and Jen and Jennifer Jason Lee. So it's very, very much a personal thing like that. Um, and so that's, that's one of the big contenders. Uh, I think that best actress category is kind of coming down to two people. Um, and they're both playing real people. I think that this is one of those years where we see a uh, a person playing a real person, an actor playing a real person, um, a historical person, gets the award for doing so. And I think it's down to um, Cynthia Erivo in Harriet as Harriet Tubman and Renee Zellweger in Judy. Now, I've heard kind of middling things about the movies, but I've heard that their performances are terrific. And uh, so those are definitely definitely contenders. Um, for best actor, I mean, you also have somebody like Tom Hanks playing Fred Rogers in uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which I think is actually going to be the movie that wins the audience award. I think that this is the top lock for the audience award. It got it got a standing ovation. It got huge praise um, out of the festival. Everybody seemed to. To believe that uh, the director, Mariel Heller, who brought us Can You Ever Forgive Me last year, is onto something very different from regular biography. Apparently, I mean, Tom Hanks is a lock for best actor, but that but in a way that would be category fraud, actually, because apparently Fred Rogers is a is a uh, supporting character in the story, which really follows the uh, the journalist played in the movie by Matthew Reese And he's also really good. And the movie is telling the story of Fred Rogers through kind of a um, um, uh, an avatar, not an avatar, um, sort of a a third person or a second person kind of um, perspective. And that is this this journalist that's writing a story. And uh, so it's not just a simple biography of Fred Rogers or a slice of life or or a Lincoln uh, type thing. It's it's really just kind of what does Fred Rogers and his legacy mean, and it's kind of looking, and it's kind of searching that, um, exploring that. So that's I think the probable lock for best actor. Um, let's see what else. There's uh, kind of a, a controversy that surrounded Jojo Rabbit, which is Taika Waititi's new movie and um the whether the um the tonal management of the thing is is really up to par, but it's certainly got a divisive reaction. I think that that maybe takes it out of the conversation for the Oscars just because um other than maybe a screenplay nomination, it just feels like one of those movies that won't quite um translate to Oscars success for voters who might be wary of watching it for whatever reason. I don't know, but um, there's certainly a lot of conversations surrounding that one as many as as surrounding Joker, especially after it's TIFF um, uh, premiere, which kind of brought up the whole conversation around, do we need a movie that is about Joker? Um, Sort of the same thing is happening with Jojo Rabbit. Do we need a movie that makes light in any way from any voice of Adolf Hitler. So anyway, uh, and then the, the last one that really just kind of broke out completely, the uh, last two, I should say there are two more. One is waves, which is Trey Edward Schultz, uh, newest film. And that one got some really good notices, particularly for its cinematography and, um, and first direction from Schultz, who is being called a possible contender for best director. Um, And then you also have Knives Out, which isn't an Oscar thing, but is Ryan Johnson's uh, follow-up to the biggest movie in his career by far, Star Wars The Last Jedi, and this one is sort of a whodunit whodunit, uh, in the tradition of uh, Agatha Christie, and also apparently has a lot to say, uh, politically speaking. So not really an Oscar thing, movies like that never really translate, but you could be looking at potential for, like, actors being uh, noticed. So, anyway, that's that's basically where it sits. Um, you also have possibilities for, like, Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems, although the movie is very, apparently, they're very loud and aggressive. You also have Eddie Murphy and Dolomite Is My Name. It tickles me to death that those two are in the conversation. Um, but not much to say about those movies, which kind of played to, uh, you know... Good notices, maybe not total um, uh, total success, although you also do have the two popes uh, from Netflix with Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins. those are definitely in in contention. and uh, Ford v. Ferrari, Just Mercy, a couple of easy targets for prestige trophies, if you will. Um, both uh, Just Mercy got kind of middling responses, but it apparently seems to be just kind of an easy uh, an easy sell. And then Ford v. Ferrari seems to be very old-fashioned. Um, so we'll see how all of this plays out in the actual season. And we also got other movies to see, like The Irishman. Um, but until then, that's pretty much where the, um, where the Oscar race sits. And that's not even taking into consideration the movies that have already come out. Um, obviously, movies like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are definitely in contention. Um, and then you have a bunch of movies that are in contention for technical awards, but, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens. It's turning into a really exciting, unpredictable season. So I'm really, really, uh, excited to see how this, how this all turns out. Chase, are you, are you just excited as me to see all of these movies? Are you just like, give them all to me now?
0: Yeah, it, it really disturbs me that we have to wait. Uh, but we will be patient people <laughs> and, uh, I think the one movie that I'm looking forward to the most just hearing from festival buzz and what kind of damage it can do for this award season, I have a really strong feeling I have a really strong feeling that Marriage Story might be my number one. Yeah, um, I feel like that one's going to not only crush my soul but crush my list. I feel like it's going to do um probably the most damage. Uh, at the the Oscars I actually think that now after hearing all this stuff until until we hear stuff from the Irishman I think this is probably the best play that Netflix has got in their back pocket and really pushing Noah for director I have a feeling that this is going to be Adam Driver's year uh, and win this thing for best actor it could possibly win for screenplay maybe even for score I mean we're, we're talking like a real contender and yeah, it, it scares me. I, that... I
1: honestly have a, I honestly have a feeling that even though a beautiful day in the neighborhood is likely to win the, uh, the audience award, I think marriage story is probably the best picture winner yeah. because, because of this, this, I, this, uh, this word on it that it's basically one of the best movies ever made about marriage and one of the best movies ever made about divorce and the fact that there's a scene where, um, Adam Driver sings "Being Alive," a Sondheim song, that could very well be his Oscar clip. Um, that's really interesting to 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 hear. And um, yeah, I mean, you get a movie like this, you make it completely right, you do it all the right way. I mean, they did it with Kramer versus Kramer, which is very much about this kind of divide, um, and that one won Best Picture. So it could very well be that we're looking at a new Kramer versus Kramer, and that's sort of the standard, the gold standard of movies about divorce. You so, know,
0: Well, you know what kind of makes this movie special is that, yeah, it's it's really personal uh, to Noah because he, he was married and divorced, but you are mistaken if you don't think with them dating that Greta helped him out with this story and just seeing it from someone that he's dating's perspective that is interesting. And, you know, she's a great writer. So like, I just imagine like that script is probably like just a whirlwind of emotions and just passion. And like, I I can't wait to see it now. And so if you're telling, if you're, if you're asking me, if I had to eliminate every single movie from a festival and just pick one that I think is a a true target for, for everyone's uh, top 10 list and award season, it's marriage story. And, um, that gets me super excited about that um excited to see joker (laughs) with the especially with all the discourse that's happening online um and it it, it's been
1: great discourse there's been nothing nothing embarrassing about it whatsoever oh no 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 no. uh
0: film (laughs) film critics definitely have a a good name behind them uh no uh it's it's really embarrassing um and the thing is uh and this is also kind of exciting you know we haven't seen the movie yet obviously but If Joaquin Phoenix does win for Best Actor, um, obviously not the same category, but this is going to be the first time in our lifetime that we have seen two Oscars given out to the same character. um, Yes. Which
1: is cool. All of the actors who have played him in movies will have been Oscar winners. So, Because Jack Nicholson won for As Good As It Gets, um, and I think probably some other stuff too. I, I I don't know off the top of my head, but um, and then you had of course Jared Leto one for Dallas Buyers Club, Heath Ledger one for playing Joker, Joaquin Phoenix would be playing would be winning for playing Joker. It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, um, and the fact that, that it's that's this character. Uh,
0: yeah, with within our lifetime, it's it's wild. Um, so yeah. we'll have to wait and uh, see until the movie comes out. That will be uh, the the top October episode for you guys, but um, yeah, excited to see that.
1: Really... And, and by the way, we will have an episode for *Marriage Story*. I yes. wanted to, to tell that. So that's, I mean, I'm I'm serious when I say that we're not just going for the obvious big movies that are opening every week. This is this is going to get its own episode in uh, second episode in December. So, and, and yeah. I'm just
0: letting you guys know. Uh, and we'll reveal each month uh, when we get towards the end of into end of the previous months. But I'm telling you right now, every single episode has a potential to, to ding something. Uh, whether yeah. it be our top ten list, some awards, it's it's gonna be even, really exciting. or
1: even or even possibly our bottom ten list.
0: I but mean, yeah, it could, yeah possibly it could bottom ten something. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I'm I'm telling you, just get get excited. Um, yeah, but yeah, the the Joker news. Uh, it's embarrassing, but I'm still excited to see it. Um, Uncut gems sounds like uh, an assault on the senses, but I you know I, I'm I'm down for that because. I didn't really care for heaven knows what when it it came to that um, aggressiveness uh, just because I thought there was a a lot of extreme close-ups going for two hours and it's just – it can be a mind grain sometimes. But good time was an assault on the senses in the best way possible. And so if we can kind of capture that spirit of uh, the Safdie brothers, then I'm all down for it. And, you know, people are are saying, you know – it's Adam Sandler's best, and as if, like, he's never done anything good before. Uh, it's just like, oh, this guy from Pixels, he's he's doing something new in his career. It's like, I'm sorry, have you seen his other movies? Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, Uncut Jim, super stoked about that. Um, uh, Knives Out, uh, as Joel pointed out, it's not going to come anywhere close to award season, but I can see putting it in my own personal top ten. I, I love um, – Fun absolutely little, yeah absolutely fun little mystery movies like that so i i cannot be more stoked for that and i really this, hope this one to... looks like
1: to me at least like um and i think that you liked it more than i did but it
0: whoops uh hold on folks uh Technical difficulties have uh, have struck the the podcast episode. Uh, Joel is uh, away at the moment because the internet hates him, uh, the internet connection. But uh, yeah, we we're uh, talking about Knives Out and stuff, and um, uh, yeah, I just uh, I can't I can't wait for it. It's uh, definitely that one and Marriage Story. If, if we're talking um, um, like award season and entertainment value, those are the those are the two for sure. Uh we're gonna wait until uh Joel comes back. Uh I'm gonna go ahead and um drop the call and call him back. Um uh this is what happens folks when uh your in internet connection is terrible, but um yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Hello? Yes, uh, so you're back. Uh, so you, okay. dro- you dropped a little bit, and then I had to just uh, make the, the executive decision and just cut you off completely and then bring you back. I was I
1: was hearing you perfectly, so I don't know what happened there.
0: Yeah, I, I don't um, know. A- anyways, uh, I was just saying that um, uh, I was comparing the two in terms of like if I had to pick one for like what I feel like is going to be um, pure entertainment sake and just maybe make personal top tens, we'll go to Knives Out, and then more like, like an awards juggernaut marriage story. I picked those two as like my top um, two in those categories. And um, yeah, uh, super, super looking forward to that. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's about it when I, when it comes to um, what I'm looking forward to, like if I had to rank everything, cause like Joel said, four V Ferrari is uh, is a pretty safe bet for award season. I can see that being like a best picture, Type of deal, but I've heard you know kind of mixed things on it, kind of lukewarm things on it. Uh, Waves, I've I've heard nothing but fantastic things about. Also looking forward to that and doing some damage on my personal top ten, and especially after seeing the trailer last week. And I think that's about it in terms of the bigger ones. I mean, there's obviously a lot of middle tier. Movies that I've been hearing a lot of good stuff about, like Greed or Bad Education with Hugh Jackman. So, I mean, I there's a lot of buzz coming uh, from each movie in their own right. Uh, but I, I just have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of altering the top ten list as weeks go on. Um, and it, uh, it gets me excited but also nervous at the same time. So, that's kind of my thoughts on the uh, overall kind of TIFF uh, explosion, if you will. Uh, but Marriage Story and Knives Out are the top two for me.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'd i say that I'm probably in a, in a similar position. Um, and obviously Ad Astra might might be like visual effects. I, I don't know how much I, I don't of, know a, what of an to Oscar think about thing that. that is. I don't yeah. know what
0: to think about that Ad Astra movie. It's uh it's it's crazy, you know, uh, until I see it and actually and everything. No, I'm just kidding. Just rub it in. I, I, I will say okay. that uh, without giving my full – like review or even thoughts on it. Even if I, even if I think Ad Astra is just flat out terrible, I can tell you guys with confidence right now that that movie is a lock for visual effects at the Oscars, and it's a serious contender for sound editing and sound mixing. So that's all I'll say about it. But I, I do believe on a technical level, Ad Astra could do some damage. So that is a uh, positive for that. Excellent. All right. Well, I can't wait to
1: see it. I'm seeing it, uh, I think, right before we record next week. So, yeah, really, um, really excited, although we're talking about it the following week. Okay. Guys, we're here already. Uh, It's going to be this week's review, and we are reviewing Hustlers. This is the new movie from Lorraine Scafaria, the director of Seeking a Friend for the End of the World and The Meddler brings us the story of a group of strippers in two thousand seven and eight who are uh, basically just, you know, working, doing what they have to do to make a living, and uh, by servicing Wall Street guys. They live right there and or they work right there in the in the um, in the thick of it in Wall Street, and they have a lot of rich clients. The main character is a uh, is named Dorothy. Although she uh, although she goes by the stage name of Destiny, she's played by Constance Wu, and um, she is just trying to take care of her grandmother, um, who whom she lives with because uh, her parents are not around, and uh, she is just wanting to get by. She barely gets by too. She has to give a certain percentage back to the to the um, manager of the club and it's basically paying for her trip her round trip kind of uh from home which is way far away to the club um that is until she meets Ramona uh sort of the head stripper of the club played by uh Jennifer Lopez and then and so they they kind of strike up this sort of Uh, I guess a mix between a mother-daughter and sisterly relationship. Um, Certainly, Ramona becomes very protective of destiny, and they become good friends. They also make good friends with some of the other um, workers in the club, including ones played by Lily Reinhart and Kiki Palmer. Um, But then, September 29th, 2008 happens – well, actually, it was a few days before that. But anyway, um, Wall Wall Street just crashes. Uh, all the stuff with the Lehman Brothers and uh, and AIG and all of that happens. And because of that, Wall Street guys lose their money. Because Wall Street guys lose their money, the strippers that they pay for dances also lose their money because that's their clientele. So what Ramona does is she decides that she's going to uh, hatch a plan to make money. and that And that plan involves drugging, And stealing money from Wall Street executives and other types of executives, they don't have to be on Wall Street, just really wealthy, who come into their club. Um, It's based on a true story. Uh, All the names have been basically changed, um, but this is very accurate. And in a framing device in 2014, we have uh, the Constance Wu character uh, dictating a lot of her story to uh, to a journalist played by Julia Stiles. Uh, who's also here. Really nice to see her. So, guys, I was looking forward to this. I mean, it, it just sounded like a lot of fun, um, looked like a lot of fun, and clearly looked like it was going to be taking some cl- some cues from, uh, from Martin Scorsese. It's kind of lucky that I watched Casino this week, actually, because there's a lot of uh, cues taken from that movie in particular. Um, and I'm happy to say that I quite liked this. I think... That this is actually a case of a director watching a bunch of mob movies, particularly Scorsese's, and not just watching to imitate style and aesthetic. And I think that that's an important thing because I think that we get that a lot. I mean, probably the worst recent example of that was Gotti, the movie last year with John Travolta, which tried to be sort of this uh, Goodfellas type, you know, Scorsese mob movie. And just completely wasted every opportunity to be a thoughtful example of that particular model. Uh, it, was just, it was just embarrassingly uh, just low energy, not great in terms of the visual aesthetic, uh, very flat, and tired, and completely just unbelievable, even though it was telling a, a true story. This is kind of what Gotti wanted to be. I think, in terms of its um, its uh, wanting to be a scorsese light kind of entertainment. Um, because I think that Scafaria clearly has learned from Scorsese's, uh, watching Scorsese's movies. And the proof is in the pudding here. I think that there's a lot of detail here in terms of how it tells the story, particularly its use of narration. Because I'm very wary of narration. I don't know if you are, Chase, but I am. I think that narration can be extremely manipulative, manipulative, especially if you're just using it to explain things. That's that's usually what I find filmmakers are trying to do with narration, and it's very tired, very, very um, ordinary, and very typical of, of directors to do that. You're just having them ex- essentially explain what's going on um, while you're watching it whereas Scorsese, I found in movies like Casino and Goodfellas, is using, and and I think Scafari is doing it here too, is using narration as a thematic complement, kind of explaining what's going on in their heads, explaining what it all represents to them at that particular moment in their life. It's a thematic complement to the to the action rather than just accompanying the images and saying what you're watching. That's what Gotti got into the the narration and that was literally just telling us what was happening. And that was annoying. Here, we have a similar thing going on. Uh, there's a specific reason for the narration. It isn't just kind of om- omniscient narration. It is the fact that uh, the destiny is telling her story to somebody. And so we hear what she's telling that person. But it's important that basically everything that she's telling in terms of the facts of the of the um, of the story are what we see. She's not telling us what we're seeing. And that's really important. So I think that it nails that. Also, this is kind of, I guess, a small, you know, kind of a cosmetic thing. But the use of the soundtrack in this movie is very much like Scorsese's soundtracks. Scorsese, tends to bring us on sort of a tour of music history in his movies. He uses songs of the period. He uses songs not of the period. It can be anachronistic in either way. Either he's making a movie that's set like in the sixties and he's using thirties music or he's making a movie set, you know, like the Wolf of wall street and he's using eighties music. It's fine. Um, uh, he's, he's basically inundating us with a bunch of, with a bunch of music and, I think that they're doing the same thing here because the story is set between the years of 2007 and 2015, and it uses music as placers, as place cards for that. Um, so you hear stuff like, um, uh, I don't know, the artist. I forgot to look up the artist, but there's a song in the background, um, Beautiful Girls by Sean Kingston. Uh, really good song, came out in 2007 or 8. And, uh, so it would have been on the top of the charts. And I think that it kind of dominated the charts for some time, uh, really good. It's playing in the background and then you have actual kind of diegetic music here with, uh, like Lords Royals, uh, which is playing over the, over, uh, the images of the most important point in the story. Uh, really great use of that because it also, um, uh, it also kind of, it's kind of complementing what's going on in the scene. Really great use. If David Ehrlich doesn't use that in his 2019 countdown, I don't know why he's making those, uh, because it's perfect uh, fodder for that. And uh, there's also just just the general punchy editorial style uh, of the, of how Scafari is telling the story and how the editor, um, Kayla Emter is structuring it. Um to match kind of the energy of the songs and the energy of the performances and um so yeah you just you just have this real sense that Scafaria is in is invoking Scorsese rather than just playing, you know, kind of playing dress up with some of his uh his tendencies and this is i use scorsese a lot because this is very clearly modeled after his stories it's a story of kind of people turn to criminality to um to to make it on their own you know this is this is goodfellas this casino these are people that have no other choice whether it's because of they're pushed into this circumstance by other circumstances surrounding ones or by their uh nurturing and upbringing here it's it's suggested that it's a little bit of both for these women. And I think that that's a really interesting study. It's also bolstered by a lot of great performances. I think that Constance Wu, very fine performance. Um, very kind of... Um, a very emotional performance, really. She's the she's the face of the movie. Then you also have Jennifer Lopez as kind of this more mercurial figure. Uh, she's very much a supporting player. It's not going to be a Best Actress nomination that she's going to be getting. She's very much a... a a supporting player here she's kind of mercurial kind of um domineering in some way she knows how to control a room she knows how to control a group of people and that's why she becomes the ringleader of this group of uh kind of robin hood in uh in stripper garb <laughs> that the story is trying to be and uh you have you know a couple of solid supporting turns like i said julia styles really good there's a great moment for styles uh she's just learned about the drugging uh, aspect, which is when the women take ketamine and MDMA, mix them together, and put them in in uh, various alcohol uh, alcoholic drinks that the that the uh, that the Wall Street executives drink, and it cuts it cuts to the Julia Stiles character just listening. She's standing in the kitchen, she's listening, and it's a close up of her face with her eyes absolutely bug eyed wide because she cannot believe what she just heard. And it's a great little shot, great little moment of basically reflecting what the audience is thinking right then because they're like, what what did I just hear? And it's great little entryway into the um into the story for the audience in that way. Um she's great she's really good. There's some fun you know, performances from Lily Reinhardt and Kiki Palmer. Um maybe a little bit too much of a Leaning on the uh, the gimmick of the Reinhardt character throwing up a lot, I think that the, it kind of leans too heavily into that. Um, but yeah, and then you have like great little uh, like appearances by people like Frank Whaley, who's a, a Scorsese and uh, Oliver Stone and Quentin Tarantino um, veteran. Appears in JFK and Pulp Fiction. He's the guy who um, uh, who is supposed to say that again, if you know what I mean in that movie he's he's uh that's who he is and he shows up here as one of the executives and and then the movie kind of shifts from this really really like um fast-paced kind of slightly comedic uh i don't know caper to something a little bit more tragic as the story turns um toward them kind of meeting their comeuppance and um and it's uh and it earns that shift. I think it's, yeah. So this is a good movie, very good movie. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. I think that it's uh, very stylish. The cinematography here is by uh, by Todd Van Hazel. Again, the 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 uh, the cinematographer and the editor, not people I've heard of. I'm not really familiar with their work. Um, I'd have to look them up to see if I've seen anything else they've done. Kind of uh, feel feel like breakthrough moments for them. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good one. Uh, and I'm gonna be I think I'm gonna go with a b plus on this one I think it's really I think it's really solid really strong work um so that is my grade uh chase what did you think
0: sir of hustlers so I remember when the the trailer dropped uh, a while ago I you know it it looked fine um and it's not just because it was about pole dancers it's just you know it I don't know, It just kind of looked okay. It it didn't look like anything special, um but obviously I knew it was going to be the movie we were going to review, so I was going to see it regardless and I know the lady wanted to see it, so um you know, she was really excited for it. So that got me a little bit more pumped for it cuz when usually when someone else is way more excited to see it, you know, you kind of feed off that energy a little bit. So I you know, uh, after hearing all the buzz and sitting in that seat finally, I was like, okay, well, let's let's do this thing. Um and second of all, I'm gonna go ahead and just admit straight up, J Lo has really never been like an actress that uh, I have been like, oh yeah, that was great. Like whether it be rom coms, uh, thrillers, dramas, what what whatever, I I just really never found her to be good. And so, but I'm waiting for it though because people can surprise you. And see gonna...
1: out of see out of sight. And I, I will do that because yeah. I've
0: heard I've heard that was the movie uh, before yeah. this She's one. She's amazing, and in that. so um, I will get up on that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just you know, but I'm willing to give anyone a shot because anyone can turn it around for me, and I can go, "Hey, that was a great job. I can't wait to see the progression." Uh, if you if you keep working with better filmmakers, and uh, before I get in my review, uh, just real quick, uh, they uh, sometimes uh, at these screenings, right? Um, the the reps that are repping the film, they'll ask certain businesses to kind of come by and promote their business if it kind of like directly correlates with the movie. Like case in point, when I saw the kid who would be king earlier this year, they had um, they were they had a business come by that did fencing lessons, and I was like, okay, that makes sense. You know, fencing's in the movie, and uh, it was it was really cool to see they put it on a show for us. And you're probably thinking, oh no. Did they have people pole dance before Hustlers? Yes, they did, and it was pretty cool. Um, so they had, like, two poles in the the front of the theater, and it was uh, some studio that was uh, uh, repping their business. And I'm telling you what, if people ever make fun of strippers or pole dancers, do you know how much muscle work goes into that? Like, as soon as it was done – one of the one of the girls like walked by like the the first two rows. She looked like she could punch through a wall. Like the muscles on that woman's arms were spectacular. I was like, I, so much respect uh, for for pole dancers because it is a it is an exercise and it's uh, it was really really fascinating to watch. One of but,
1: m- one of my best friends from uh, from high school decided. I think it was at least a couple of years ago now. Uh, just to do it for like you know maybe six months or something to get she wanted to get some cardio kind of workout but she didn't want to do something usual she was bored with it and so she decided to take up pole dancing classes because it is absolutely incredible cardio <laughs>
0: it yeah, is incredible it's incredible cardio <laughs> i like because when you're sitting there and you're watching it like they usually uh dance to like Three minute songs, right? That three minute seems like forever because these women are like climbing up it, doing the uh, and as uh, hustlers will teach you some of the moves. You know, like the tabletop spin or like Mm -hmm. you know hooking the leg around and like doing a uh, a spin around. It's just it's incredible, and so uh, definitely more respect uh, for them. um, uh, Just just as an art form, as an exercise, it's incredible. So with all that going into it. I was like, "How is this going to turn out?" And I'm happy to report it, it's a good movie. I, I like it quite a bit, and uh, I really just appreciate everything involved with it. Because, hey, listen, I will admit when I was when I'm wrong, and I was wrong about it. Uh, you know, maybe it was just the marketing over at sticks that just didn't really do it for me. But uh, I, I was really surprised by the movie. So I think uh, you know when when I was hearing Joel talk about it. She's talking a lot about Scafaria and her directing. And I think she is um, one of the real stars here because she knows how to capture that energy and that kind of rhythm for this type of narrative where it, it is kind of like a, a Scorsese type of feeling where everything is just really slick, it's snappy, and it just it, you get invested from frame one. I mean, this movie starts out with the bang and just kind of goes at this really moderate pace the entire time, and it doesn't ever let up, it, except for a few scenes, but those scenes are, uh, are very pivotal to the character development, but um, when you accompany that with the the kind of gritty cinematography that you need to capture New York City and this this snappy editing, it's, just, it's a really compelling narrative on these real-life people that committed these crimes, and that's another thing I wanted to mention, is that Scafaria never, ever... Lets these women off the hook and says, oh, uh, I'm, I'm going to um, apologize for these women's crimes and stuff. We're, we're going to put them all in a great light. It's like, no, she doesn't ever apologize for what they did. She puts it on full display, but she makes it to where like these people are, are humans. Right. And, you know, like constant woos character. She do, she does this out of desperation. She needs the money. Uh, and that's the driving force is that, you know, this could really help everyone's situation. Uh, especially during the recession and kind of these low hitting times is that people are desperate and they'll kind of do whatever it takes to get that extra coin. And, you know, that's, that's how she presents these women is that she doesn't apologize for their, their actions or their crimes, because what they did was pretty messed up. What she does is that she presents it in a, a, first of all, a very intoxicating and entertaining way, but also shows us that these are people um, that, just went the wrong way about it, made the wrong decisions, but we can understand where they came from, the sympathy factor. And so that's what Scafari is kind of working with here. Um, and, yeah, going back to the entertainment thing, it, it's really a, a fun watch. It's uh, Even though they're committing crimes, uh, as Joel said, it's still light in some areas. It's funny in some areas. Um, definitely has an energy to it that's uh, just really invigorating to watch. And then, of course, it, uh, the character work is really nice because yes, it can, it is energetic and it has this pace to it, but Scafaria also knows how to dial it back a little bit and let the scenes breathe and let the characters breathe and let us hear their inner thoughts and their, their struggles and what they're going uh, with. Uh, there's a diner scene uh, with Constance Wu and Jennifer Lopez. It's, it's kind of the, the pivotal point to this whole scheme and just how, Uh, Constance is doing, and how Jennifer's doing, and, you know, at this point, you know, they got a couple kids, and so, you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on, but it's a scene that, that breathes a little bit, the editing is a a little bit, you know, dialed back, and we get to kind of see them at their lowest point before they start doing the scheme, and get that understanding as to why they're gonna do these, uh, these things, once again, going the wrong way about it, but doing these things for their family, and so scenes like that, and scenes when uh, Constance Wu is kind of breaking down a little bit um, and and cracking her her hard outer shell in front of Julia Stiles when they're doing the interview was also really um, touching because you're you're seeing this woman who is obviously doing some terrible things, but when she starts, you know shedding that that tear and that vulnerability you start to connect to her a little bit more you start to feel for her and be like i i want you to get out of this thing alive i don't want you to get any jail time but you know that's the the power of these performances and just the the uh uh, character work that scafaria works with that is really um compelling to watch uh so to get to, to, to the performances uh everyone is hailing jennifer lopez she's very good in the movie um as Joel said, walking that thin line of being like the mother bear uh, for this um, group of women and you know sisterly love and being very commanding and controlling because she she states at the beginning of the film that you know pole dancing is all about control and you know her character is controlling the room at any point in time whether it be uh, talking one on one with someone or dancing in front of a group of people she's always in control and you know there's a couple of moments where she kind of has um some vulnerability to her character and it just shows that she's uh not invincible either and so that just makes her more human and more well-rounded and uh, I thought she did a really great job and this was the movie because I have not seen out of sight yet this was the movie that made me go wow not only is this the best thing I've ever seen Jennifer Lopez in but She's fantastic, and I'm willing to give her give her chances now. And once again, I was was wrong for thinking all those years uh, that she didn't have it in her, and I'm glad that this movie proved, proved me wrong. But yeah, she's great, uh, and I actually think Constance Wu is the better out of the two. Um, she, you know, had her breakout movie last year with uh, Crazy Rich Asians. I wish this was the first movie that would break her out because I think she was better than this than that movie, um, and so. Yeah, she's on a roll right now, uh, but she she's definitely the uh, the main anchor in this movie, the the character that we follow, and she's really fantastic. I agree with Joel, the uh, Julia Reinhardt character. You know, you know the throw-up gag uh, got a little old after a while, but her and Kiki Palmer have such big personalities on screen that they're lovable, <laughs> once again, even though they're committing crimes. And I just loved hanging out with that whole group of uh, women throughout the entire movie. They were just such a... A blast to hang around with and really just interested in their conversations uh, whether it be about the scheme or um you know just their life or whatever i just i liked hanging out with them and i think as a movie that's a little under two hours it is not a bad time to spend at the theater so if you are on the fence about this movie um don't be go see it i think if uh you like movies that are based on or loosely based on true stories uh that focus on questionable moral decisions of characters but you still end up liking those characters for, for some weird reason uh this is this is the movie for you i give uh, hustlers a b um so yeah go check this out um I, I would even say get give it your full full price um you know full price admission i don't even think that it deserves the matinee, go ahead and pay that full price for it. I, I don't think you're going to be disappointed uh, at all with this movie. It's a, uh, it's it's a good time.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, you're so right. It isn't. It isn't trying to assault us with a bunch of editing tricks. And that's that's the that's the key here. Um, it's just it's very it's very quick, very very energetic. But it isn't just an assault on the senses. And I think that that's that's key. So what, yeah, would, good would you, movie.
0: Uh, would you say that? Because uh, uh, I I know like like, when you watch, like, The Wolf of Wall Street, for instance, and not just because it's a Scorsese film, it's about its um, its subject that we're focusing on, would you, would you say that this movie is kind of like that in a sense of, like, Scorsese is never apologizing for Jordan Belfort's actions, it's just more of, like, it's a cautionary tale of desperation and greed, and, you know, this is kind of the same way, where it's like, they were desperate and greedy, but they went, you know, the wrong way about it, and they did some terrible things, but we can kind of understand where they're coming from. And Scafaria is not like apologizing for these people's actions. Cause if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, they did some pretty messed up stuff. I mean, they borderline killed almost kill people. So yeah, um,
1: here's, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It's, it's all about whether or not you believe the phrase desperate times call for desperate measures. Right. And I, and I think that this, that's what this is about now. It's not so much, you know, what The Wolf of Wall Street was about. That was just a guy kind of trying to take stuff. But um, uh, so I don't know if this is quite like that movie. It's certainly in style like that one meets, you know, Magic Mike or something.
0: Okay, let me rephrase my question, I guess, more in the sense of like um, sympathizing for criminals. It's not a
1: it's not a morality play is what I would say. I think that it's it's not trying to teach us any anything, particularly I think it's um, it's mostly focused on telling the story. It's really up to the viewer to figure out whether or not they think that the price that they pay ultimately is worth kind of the, the success that they were briefly able, to, briefly able to have kind of for the few years there, where there was something that, uh, going uh, something good going, uh, or good in quotes, going for them you know i don't know where i am on it uh, you know that's that's the whole thing is i don't know if it if it really calls for a specific position but um uh
0: I, I was just but it certainly just is the in the
1: yeah it is it certainly is um it certainly is a good it certainly is a good conversation starter i'll just say that i think that there's there's a lot you could talk about with what this movie's trying to say, it's saying a lot. That's very shrewd about the financial crisis um, and what the financial crisis does to people who can only really be paid by kind of this way, which is tips essentially. You know, if if it goes well, it's a lot of money, and if it goes poorly and there's something go- uh, going on, then it's not going to do very well. Uh, you're not going to do very well, uh, in terms of getting money. And so at that point, what do you do in order to survive? And I think that there's a desperation there. Um, and right or wrong kind of becomes gray in that, in that particular instance.
0: Yeah, and they're not to like, the, to they're the not malicious they, people like there's, right. there's points in the movie where like th- all of them have regrets in some way of doing it, but they keep yeah. doing it. So obviously they're they're them themselves are conflicted.
1: I, I mean, you see it. There's a scene where and I'm not going to try not to re- re- you know reveal anything here, but there's a scene where somebody confronts Constance Wu's character about what's been happening. I think you know what I'm talking about. One yeah. of the vic- one of the victims, and you see the dichotomy between the reactions between her character and the Jennifer Lopez character. I think that this movie exists in the middle of them. I think that what it's I think basically what it's saying is, you know, this is what happened. They needed this, but they also did this stuff over here. That and by over here I mean on the spectrum of right and wrong, um, where. You know, I feel like maybe some of these people, maybe, you know, if they were to do it again, they wouldn't do the drugging. And some of some of the other people here would have if they had to do it again. And I think that that's kind of it's it's not just like all of these people are a monolith of of right or wrong. Um, I think that there's multiple there's multiple view. There's multiple personalities here. And I think that it, it does a pretty good job, maybe maybe not as like in depth a job as it could have. But I think it is a pretty good job. Of examining what a financial crisis can do to personalities like these women's. Now, I think that it would have needed a length like like Casino to really dig deep, and I think I would have loved that actually. But same. Um. And and actually, if it had been uh, given that length, it would have had it. It would have been somewhere near the top of the list of the most times the F word has been used in a movie because already it's a lot, uh, and I love it. Don't don't get me wrong. I I just I just noticed. Wow, that's a lot. um And if it had been casino length, then it might have matched that, which is I think like the sixth on the list of the, the movies that use the word the most. Anyway, um, it's delightfully profane. I'll just say that. Yeah. And
0: and, and I just um, wanted to say one last thing before we wrap this up because I know it's going to be on some people's minds. And uh, yes, we glossed over it because it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. If people are worried about Cardi B or Lizzo's acting, I can tell you that they're in like two scenes. They're very quick, and they're they're not in it that much to even justify reviewing them on. So I just want to let people know: do do not be discouraged if uh, you see Cardi B's on the name the name her name on the poster, and you're like, yeah. oh no, is she going to be in a significant part? They're not. So just she she okay. and
1: Lizzo are. Basically playing themselves. Yes.
0: Uh, <laughs> There's an really improv guess. scene where uh, uh, Cardi B, because we believe uh, my lady uh, and I believe it was improv of her trying to teach Constant Woos uh, how to, how to lap dance. Yes. There was no way that was scripted.
1: Yeah, no way. No. Uh, I actually read that there was no dialogue for that character. That's what I'm saying. Uh, there was no dialogue written. Obviously, she had like actions, and she had to follow that. She had to teach her, you know, how to how to lap dance. All that. All of her like actions are scripted. But literally absolutely nothing that the character says is mm-hmm. in the screenplay. And so they basically just let Cardi B say whatever she was saying. So she she literally is just playing herself here because she's coming up with whatever this character is saying. And so um, she doesn't have any, any – and the reason that they can get the, get away with that is because she has absolutely no bearing on the plot whatsoever. She's basically right. in just like a
0: couple of scenes. and That's why same it's not thing even worth L- bringing up. I just didn't want yeah, people same thing to see
1: her name think lizzo has even less screen time right
0: i think she has like two lines yeah uh, cardi b has like a paragraph but like i just want people (laughs) to not be discouraged when they see their names and be like oh no because like i am not gonna lie i am not a fan of like cardi b's personality and i'm also not a fan of her actually drugging people (laughs) and doing this in real life (laughs) because she do you guys forget uh forget about that um so uh, you know i just want people to uh just be aware that's not a big deal that they're yeah, in
1: to the make movie. a really dark joke. They're like, "Hey, do you want to be this in this movie about uh these strippers who are who are um, who are drugging people and taking their money?" <laughs> and she's like, "Oh yeah, see, I was I actually was a stripper and I did that in real life. So yeah, totally, I'll be in your movie anyway."
0: Um, <laughs> I, I just want people to uh, not forget about that because that happened. She admitted to that. No,
1: it did. It did. It, it did. And uh, and again, she was she before she became a singer. I think she was a bartender, and before that, she was a stripper. So it, it works. Um, but yeah. Uh, anyway. But yeah, good movie, good movie, and I I think that it's going to be a big hit. I mean, we've we've already been getting some really positive uh, notices on in, in terms of the box office, and um, yeah. So we'll see how it we'll see how it goes. Uh, it probably won't be that much of a hit past this week because there's some there's some heavy hitters like Down Nabby coming out, but um, but yeah. It's uh, it's a good movie. So everybody should go see this whenever it opens for you. I know that we have a lot of international listeners. I don't know when it opens overseas, but um, definitely give this one a shot. Um, if you're in the states or Canada or wherever it, wherever else it is open this week, it's a good one. All right, folks, uh, that is it. Uh, next week we are reviewing the new uh, big prestige drama, The Goldfinch, which has not been getting good reviews, unfortunately. I'm still excited for it Um, because, you know, Roger Deakins, Pulitzer Prize uh, winning novel. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, But that is our review next week again, uh, you know, kind of to to re-explain what I explained a few weeks ago Um, because of the fact that there's nothing like gigantic, huge coming out in the last weekend. We played with the release dates a little bit. So even though the Goldfinch is a wide release from this week, we pushed it back to next week so that we could. We could have something in the last weekend of September, which is at Astro. So, kind of, kind of shifting some stuff around, but that's okay. We're, we're not going to be doing that so much from, from here on out. Uh, I will be gone for one episode of the fall season, and otherwise, we're going to be talking about some really heavy hitters uh, for this season. So, very excited for that. All right. So, uh, you can find my writing at JoelOnFilm.com. I didn't review anything this week. I kind of took the week off. Um, and, yeah, just, I don't know, uh, I guess I just kind of got complacent, (laughs) but whatever, uh, so I don't have reviews this week, but, um, I will have reviews next week, I'll be back, and I'll be reviewing a ton of stuff on the last weekend of the month, uh, including a bunch of stuff, um, that is, um, uh, now available to rent or stream or whatever, so, um, yeah, it should be exciting, uh, stuff coming up for my website. Otherwise you can follow my, my endless ramblings of whatever observations I'm having at, uh, at any given moment on Twitter at real Joel Copeling That's at R E E L, uh, J O E L C O P L I N G. And some of my writing at, uh, Dallas I should have some stuff coming up. I actually got put on a, um, a screener list. Uh, by our friend brett i didn't tell you that chase but i did so i should have i'm hoping some stuff uh coming pretty semi-regularly to uh to dallasmoviescreenings.com in the future and um let's see you can follow my daily progress watching movies at letterboxd Uh, just search my name and i think that's it i think that's it so um there you go that's where i am on the internet
0: Joel being complacent? Uh, What are you, lazy over there? Jeez. Uh, So, uh, yeah, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at RealChaseLee. I am starting to do review blurbs um, for any movies that I see throughout the year. I'm getting back into it, so I always post stuff on there. Um, And then, of course, uh, follow the the podcast Twitter uh, page at RealMeInPodcast. And, of course, for this podcast itself, whether you're listening to on CastBox, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever, uh, please uh, spread this around and let people know what is up and what is your favorite movie podcast. And to go back to what Joel said about Hustlers, um, it is actually out uh, in a lot of territories right now. It's going to trickle out through the rest of the month. And in October uh, through November, it's going to come out in, like, uh, Australia, Poland, Belgium, uh France Italy Spain and Mexico so uh it it is a little ways off from um hitting those territories but uh it, it will slowly Trickle out in case you guys were wondering. Uh, but yeah, that will do it for this episode of 291. Next week, episode 292 uh, with the Goldfinch should be a lot of fun. So that will do it for this week's episode, guys. I am Chase Lee. That is Joel over there. You guys are the best. Peace out. Watch some movies, watch some TV shows, whatever you guys like to do. And whenever you're listening to this podcast episode, have a good day or good night. See you guys next week. Bye.